Hello, and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest today is Air Wars' Emily Tripp. Emily manages the Air Wars research team across multiple conflict zones and led on the just-released report on civilian casualties caused by Russian airstrikes in Syria. You can find that report at airwars.org. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, and and thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Now, it's six years since Russia intervened militarily in the Syrian conflict. Can you remind our listeners what that intervention consisted of? I would say, you know, to premise this question by saying, you know, Russia's not the, the only foreign actor in Syria. We have at one point up to kind of 17 nations, I think, that we've tracked, um, you know, including the, the US-led coalition, also responsible for, you know, thousands of, of allegations of, of civilian harm. I think you've covered already in, in previous podcasts um, with, you know, Lina Katib and, and, and Samuel. Samuel Romani. Um, you know, the, the complexity of Russian engagement and, and the motivations behind Russian engagement um, are kind of geopolitical, strategic and, and such. Relevant, perhaps, for this discussion, I would say Russia came into the conflict about a year after the US, US-led coalition, so in, in 2015, um, and, and the first uh, event... Um, I think really set the tone for how Russia's engaged in the conflict. That first event, I think it was about 40 civilians uh, alleged to to have been killed, um, about another 150 injured. And now, you know, we're we're at a position where uh, the regime forces and Russian forces are so kind of intertwined that it's actually very difficult to kind of um, distinguish between, between the two. But the Russians support primarily air support. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing airstrikes, artillery. Um, it's it's mostly focused on um, Idlib and, and, and the rebel-controlled uh, areas at this moment, yeah. The Air Wars report points out that since the Russians became involved in the uh, Syrian conflict, that their involvement, their engagement, has caused a staggering number of civilian deaths, up to 23,000. How are those figures compiled, and how robust do you consider them to be? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I'd say, I mean, we, we apply the same methodology to all conflicts that we monitor. Um, so um, in, in every conflict, every belligerent, so that's, you know, Turkey, uh, US-led coalition and, and, and such, that we, we apply the same methodology. So that is scraping open source um, data um, and reporting, archiving and, and preserving local allegations of um, civilian harm. So we have uh, our researchers who are from the conflicts that we monitor. So in in this case, they're Syrian researchers, um, and they monitor all um, reports of of civilian harm. And we treat all sources the same. So it's, you know, whether it's one individual in a village who's never really used Twitter for the first time, but they see an airstrike and they report um, on that strike, we preserve that and archive that alongside, um, you know, other reports from... Um, like, you know, media or, or Amnesty International and, and such. So as you'll see in the data, I mean, we use that 23,000 number, but we, we present everything in a range. We look at what is the lowest uh, death toll reported by those local communities and then what's the highest death toll. And, and, and we kind of present that range um, and, and then it's up to kind of the people who use it and engage with that data to kind of take it as they will. I would say for Russia, we have a couple of caveats um, on on the data, which is one of them is that, as I was saying, 
it's actually very difficult to distinguish between Russian and uh, Syrian regime strikes um, from the point of view of those on the ground. So that's something to take into account, and, and that's why we have this category, which we call uh, contested, which is uh, essentially where, where we're not sure who's responsible for that. So all of the data you see, at least one person has, has alleged um, that, that Russia was responsible for the attacks. The second caveat I might say is that there was a point in our data collection where the, the airstrikes were so intense and so frequent and, and, and kind of um, there was so, so many reports of civilian harm that our researchers actually couldn't catch up uh, to, 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 the, to the Russian um, um, pace. So we're now diving back into that data continuously. You know, it's a full-time job of our, our Syrian researchers and our assessment team to actually uh, record and, and, and assess each of those events. So we don't really expect that full data set to, to, to be finished until early next year. So are you suggesting there that the numbers could be, be higher than that 22,000 figure? Yeah, very much likely. That is quite disturbing. And it strikes me too that, that Russia's kind of fallen off the radar and the Syrian conflict has fallen off the radar. Very little coverage of Russian activity in Syria. Um, the report discusses a ballistic weapon used by the Russians, vacuum missiles. What are they and, and, and what do they do? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a ballistics missile expert, I would just say, but this is a particularly nasty weapon. I mean, all, all weapons are nasty, um, but it's a high explosive weapon that really causes significant damage to, to infrastructure. Um, but the weapon itself kind of uses a, a mechanism where it can kind of suck the air out of the, the place that it lands and, and, and crushes bodies and, and causes this kind of, as I said, just massive um, um, infrastructure damage and, and, and wide uh, injuries and, and, and civilian harm. And what we were pointing to was that, you know, of all of those allegations we have of, of civilian harm, there are about over 200 reports where local Syrians themselves are saying, we think that this was a vacuum missile. Whether or not that's the case is very difficult to actually know, but I think it just shows the, the kind of um, wide-ranging damage um, that these weapons are, are, are kind of causing in, in Syria. Now, as you said, it's difficult to differentiate between the, the Syrians and the Russians in terms of these strikes. But uh, as far as you understand, is that the Russians uh, that, are, that are using this missiles, is, is anybody else using the missiles? So the regime has also been accused of using the missiles, and, and that's why uh, it's, it's very difficult to um, differentiate. I mean, there have been a few different reports um, the, you know, on the use of the missile kind of in particular. Um, I think Human Rights Watch did um, a piece back in 2013 um, about that. So, yeah, other people have used it in other contexts, but um, we can see that it's, it's a kind of reflective honestly, of the way that um, you can look at civilian harm and infrastructure damage in Syria is the use of these kind of high explosive weapons. These vacuum missiles, are they Russian produced? I mean, if they, even if the Russians themselves aren't using them and the Syrian uh, air force is using them, are they coming, are they being sourced from, the, from Russia? As far as you can tell, but as I said, Bill, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a kind of weapons expert. Um, but yeah, we know that Russians are making them and, and using them. Now, when I had uh, Chris Woods on the podcast and he spoke about the uh, the collaboration that has been going on with Air Wars and the U.S. authorities, uh, some collaboration, 
with the UK Ministry of Defense, uh, perhaps not nearly enough. But is there any response at all from the Russians? Uh, unfortunately not. I mean, we, we've reached out to the Russians uh, a number of times um, for, for response um, in the same way that, that, you know, we reach out to, to all um, um, belligerents that we monitor. I've heard that, that Russian forces have actually kind of used Air Wars data to blame the US for, for certain civilian harm events. So uh, in some senses, you know, at least they're, they're seeing the data and they must have some engagement with it. I mean, I would say that, you know, at the, at the start of Air Wars, we, we never really expected that the Americans would engage with us. Um, so, you know, I think the limited engagement that we have had with the Americans is a very positive sign and, and something that, yeah, as I said, we, we wouldn't necessarily have expected. With Air Wars, I mean, we have a very open door policy. You know, we're here not to kind of pass judgment on, on different belligerents and, and we're here to try and, you know, primarily improve the, the tracking and, uh, you know, monitoring and, and response to civilian harm. So at the moment, no. And Russia also, you know, has not actually conducted their own investigations or, or any kind of um, investigations of themselves in, into these events. But it's not something that we're kind of close to. So uh, as far as you understand, the Russians have never held up their hands and said, oops, sorry, we killed some civilians that we didn't intend to, as, as the Americans did famously with the Kabul airport uh, uh, bombing. Yeah, no, Russia had never done a kind of comparable um, announcement. Mm. You know, war is often presented as, as statistics, but, but the report that Air Wars has done, it goes beyond that with some really harrowing accounts of whole families wiped out from infants through to parents. Uh, can you talk about some of those individual cases? Yeah, and I mean, I think before talking about them, it's important to consider that we didn't choose, you know, we don't choose events to, or choose to highlight certain events for a kind of shock factor. Um, we don't choose kind of the most graphic events or the most extreme. Um, we're really documenting kind of all allegations of civilian harm. So, uh, you know, I can talk about a couple of them, um, but really, you know, the reason why we, and we published an, an article on, on, on um, Russian engagement in the conflict to date, and all of those kind of events we chose are chosen by our Syrian researchers. So they're, they're by the people who are doing that kind of slog day in, day out of, of monitoring uh, this, this information. One I think is important to talk about would be um, a case that highlights how difficult it is to identify the victims um, of uh, alleged Russian strikes um, and indeed uh, the victims of any airstrikes in, in conflict. And that was a, a particularly yeah, gruesome event um, in March 2019 in Idlib on a marketplace. This is an event where about 28 civilians were, were alleged to be killed, including, you know, a lot of children. We had over 30 sources, I think, in the end, um, uh, different uh, journalists. Uh, we had the Syrian Network for Human Rights, um, you know, international organisations, you know, uh, lots and lots of investigation into this particular case. And, and out of all of that reporting, we only had one name um, that we could say, this is somebody that we know who could uh, be identified in, in this strike. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. I mean, I don't know if you've seen 
but the UN have announced a kind of uh, rough figure of the people that they think have been killed in, in the conflict in Syria to date. It's about 350,000. And it's important to, to consider that because their methodology relies almost solely um, on uh, reporting only victims who can be identified by name. So if you take that as the kind of latest estimate which was published by the UN as the death toll in Syria, and then you consider you have an event such as this one, which, as I said, you know, is, is awful but unfortunately routine, where you have 28 civilians who were killed and only one that you could identify, it really tells you about the kind of scale um, of, of civilian harm we're talking about in, in Syria. And it also tells you, I mean, you're asking how Russia, what is the way that Russia has engaged in, in Syria? This was a marketplace. Um, you know, it's, it's a place of, you know, clear civilian activity. And it's not something that, that Russia have ever acknowledged um, or, or um, been held account, held to account for. And, and there's no question that this was a, a Russian attack? I think in the source itself, it, as I said, it's quite difficult to distinguish between the regime and, and the Russians. Um, but there were uh, a number of sources saying this was a, a Russian attack. Do you think uh, that the Russians then, as is said of Assad, deliberately target civilians? And if so, what do you think the purpose is? Uh, at Air Wars, I mean, we don't, we don't pass judgment, as I said. Um, we can never know the intention of an actor, um, especially if they don't do their own investigations and they don't acknowledge uh, the harm that they're causing. What I can say is that we have a number of cases, thousands of cases, where civilian infrastructure, schools, hospitals, um, marketplaces are being attacked. Many cases of what's called double tap strikes, which is where um, a second strike occurs after a first strike targeting specifically those who are responding to, to that event, the first responders, the healthcare workers, uh, the white helmets. And those you can uh, deduce would be a kind of uh, deliberate attack on civilians, but it's not our place at, at Air Wars to kind of put that, you know, that, that judgment in, in, in there. But you are collecting evidence, are you not? Yeah, yeah. And we hope that, you know, that evidence will be taken uh, through the correct accountability channels. I mean, do you think that, that with the evidence you're collecting, and I take the point you're not passing judgment, but, but do you think that you are compiling a case that the Russians are committing war crimes? I mean, if you, I would kind of defer to, to some of our partners on the ground. You know, Syrian Network for Human Rights uh, just this month published this kind of damning 25-page report looking at a few cases between June and, and September of 2021, so a very limited time period. And they did a lot of research, which our data, you know, is very much in line with. They also kind of looked at witness testimonies and, and such. I mean, for, for a war crime to take place, you have to say this is an indiscriminate attack on civilians, that they weren't targeting military targets. You know, that, that uh, can only uh, happen through uh, an investigation, a proper investigation through, through the legal system, uh, through the ICC. So... I would say, yes, our data, we are archiving, we're reporting, we're preserving those allegations, which um, are very much in line 
uh, with those rights organizations that say uh, Russia is committing war crimes. You know, you've mentioned several times uh, your Syrian colleagues. This must be so difficult and distressing for them as they track all of these casualties. Yeah, and it's, you know, a huge testament to them. I mean, they're doing this hours and hours a day for a very long time, looking at, you know, for them it's not abstract, you know, this is their country. They know these towns and cities that they're seeing completely raised to the ground, and they really are driven by the the belief that, you know, there is value in, in archiving and preserving all of those allegations of civilian harm. Yes, it reminds me of something that, that, that Chris said to me, just the importance of the record. And even though one doesn't know at this stage whether, for example, the Russians will ever go before the ICC, it is still important to have that record. And I would think particularly for your Syrian colleagues. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, you were referencing this a little bit at the beginning, right? That, you know, we have kind of normalized the idea that holding Russia to account is a hopeless uh, enterprise. I think that, you know, that there is a kind of maybe normalized expected breaking point with the regime and with the Russians that they will just kind of relentlessly do what they want um, and that no one can can hold them accountable. But at air wars, I mean, for our Syrian colleagues and for all of those involved in these assessments, we can't really let that belief, uh, you know, take precedent. I mean, we have to say this isn't a hopeless enterprise, that there is value in archiving this, that the information will be used. And, you know, in the same as all of the conflicts that we monitor, we we hope that not only will we get justice for those victims and that, you know, that that there will be some kind of accountability for the those events that we're tracking, but also that belligerents themselves will learn to understand how to improve um, their own mechanisms for, for monitoring civilian harm, uh, for minimizing civilian harm. I mean, that's the, you know, that's one area of the work that we do with, with the US um, and, and our other kind of, um, you know, other belligerents. So, you know, I think we have to kind of look at this from both of those, those angles. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You raised that uh, the Americans saw it as being in their interest uh, simply because, as, as was said of the uh, the Kabul airport bombing, a horrible mistake, I think, was what the general said. But it's important from the Americans' point of view to acknowledge the mistake and, and to try and prevent them from happening. And this is where air wars can be very useful. I mean, we, we hope so. And, you know, that not to also paint a rosy picture of U.S. Uh, uh, engagement. I mean, there is still... Uh, thousands of, of unacknowledged civilian deaths. I mean, the, the one in Kabul, of course, was was a tragedy, um, but it wasn't um, exceptional. And there are many other cases, uh, not just in Afghanistan, but elsewhere, where, you know, perhaps the New York Times wasn't there to, to do an investigation, but there were locals uh, on the ground who were reporting on this, and, and it wasn't picked up. And I think the point that, you know, this is what Chris, the, the director, kind of always really wants to emphasize is that People are killed in, in ones and twos quite often. These are small cases of civilian harm. That, that's what Air Wars is kind of focused on monitoring. Cumulatively, that does make a very, uh, you know, it shows you what, what 
kind of impact these these wars are having and, and how the belligerents are behaving. But it's only when you look at the whole archive, when you look at all of those cases kind of put together, um, that you can really get that picture and and that you can start engaging properly with militaries and saying, look, okay, maybe you won't acknowledge this because it's you wouldn't acknowledge it after kind of one or two uh, civilian harm events, but here we now can present you with you know a database of thousands of allegations. And, and that's where we hope to kind of have that cumulative um, impact. Because the military uh, will always say, and I think you know, with some credibility, that they don't want to kill civilians. Now, this is the Americans that I'm talking about here. You could argue that the Russians have a different view and others perhaps. But that, uh, and in fact, that's counterproductive to the effort if, if, if civilians uh, are collateral damage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense because, you know, you're, you're killing civilians in, in a way that, yeah, is not going to really support your own intervention um, and is a kind of huge risk uh, also for your, it doesn't show exactly a kind of advanced military that's doing precise attacks, um, it, it, rather the opposite. I mean, if you think about, you know, you take the marketplace kind of um, example. The US, you know, for all their flaws, every time they've, or most of the times that they've hit a marketplace in these mass casualty events, they've acknowledged it and, and they've said, you know, this is some, this was a mistake, you know. Uh, by contrast, uh, Russia and, they, and the Syrian regime uh, are doing these kind of marketplace attacks just often. <laughs> so, it does tell you a little bit about the kind of different uh, engagement and different motivations of those different militaries. And you do wonder, you know, what, what is the, you know, the end goal for, for an actor such as Russia to say, you know, well, here are all the civilians that have been killed in, the, in these marketplaces and, and why did you do that? <laughs> um, and it's a question, yeah, we haven't really got the answer to. Well, now, finally, Emily, uh, in the long term, the hope would be to uh, make these crimes and the people who committed them accountable. In the short to medium term, what does Air Wars hope to achieve with publishing of the report on, on for example, the uh, civilian casualties caused by the Russians? What do you hope to achieve? I think, I mean, you know, for us as an organization, we just hope that those people aren't forgotten. We see it as important, as I said, to kind of continuously make sure that an archive is up to date and that there is continuous investment in the building of that archive. And, you know, as, as I was saying, that because we see value in that archive in and of itself, for us, we don't need to see a kind of huge change or we don't need to have some kind of um, big advocacy uh, statement in order to kind of continue the work that we do. So as with all of the kind of motivation behind what, what we're doing in day to day, as well as in, in the, the kind of reports where we summarise a lot of this data, is trying to give a, a bit of dignity to those um, people who've been killed and say, you know, look, we're remembering you and, and we're going to store that information and we're going to look after it until such a time that it can be used um, in, a, in a proper court of law. So important to simply say you are remembered, you will not simply be forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Emily, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and, and thank you, Air Wars, for the really important work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Bill. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Air Wars' Emily Tripp. 
For more on the good work they're doing tracking civilian casualties in conflict zones, I urge you to go to airwars.org. If you're not already an Arab Digest member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to arabdigest.org. If you're a student, we have a special rate of £10 a month, or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.